This podcast is brought to you by OnTrack Studio. Hello, welcome back to Humong Beings podcast, episode six. You, we're down the track. Um, I'm here with Josh. How are we doing? And today we are blessed to have Matt Philippi here. How Hello. you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. That's Cheers good. for having me. I'm excited. I'm very excited about this episode. <laughs> yeah, we're so excited. So I feel like you're a man of many experiences. So I'm very excited to get into it. Um, many people probably know you from Ninja Warrior. Mm-hmm. Did that. And you did that with your twin brother too, which is awesome. Um, and then also Big Brother as well. But there is a story behind the TV personality. So... We're excited to get into that. So you've been in the army before and you were there for six years. Is that right? Yeah. So I enrolled in when I was 19, 2005, January 13th actually. And then, um, yeah, I, I enrolled as infantry, mm-hmm. which is um, pretty much a ground soldier, pretty much, um, frontline. And then, yeah, so I did all my basic training and then was posted up to Townsville up there and... I was deployed to Iraq in 2006 and Afghanistan in 2007. Crazy. It's yes. Big, it's quite a while <laughs> ago, but still such like a big part of your life. Um, mm-hmm. And before we get into, I guess, what brought you to the army, we'll go back a little bit further. So what were you like as a kid? So I remember you saying you grew up in Victoria. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you moved to Sunny when you were 14. Is that right? Yep. Um, and you have a twin brother. So what was that like? What was it like growing up with a twin um, yeah, it was awesome. Like, um, we lived down in Victoria. My parents split up when we were 13, 14. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mum and my brother and I moved up here because we loved the heat and dad stayed down in Victoria. Um, but yeah, it was awesome growing up with a twin brother. Always had a best mate there to play with and get on with. You never felt like you're on your own. Yeah, sick. Um, but it did make us very competitive and <laughs> we, used to, we used to flog the shit out of each other, eh? <laughs> like, growing up, we had some good times. And um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. But um, Growing up as a kid, I was I was like a fair bit of a – I always had to be doing something. I was mm-hmm. always a bit of a class clown, show off, and heaps of energy, and, which I kind of still do now in a way. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so it was it was awesome. Moving to the sunny coast was the best thing because I had never seen the ocean before. Um, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I moved here, uh, I think, when we were 14, and then about, about a year later, I started bodyboarding for like six months, and then I started Thank surfing. God you converted over. Yeah, and then I started, <laughs> I started surfing when I was like 16. It was the – one of the best things I ever did, because um, when we were growing up in Victoria, we were pretty, growing up in the bush, we were pretty ratty and got up to some bad stuff, and so I feel like it was just the best thing for us. That's that unreal, not yeah. seeing the ocean really till you're 14. Yeah, or seeing it, but not being, being around waves it. and yeah, stuff yeah, like that, do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's so. strange, because I, I actually had no idea yourself and Luke came from Victoria, hey? Yeah. <laughs> had no idea, I've known you my whole life and yeah. didn't know you came from Vicar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, meet them in Sunny, you think they're always yeah, from correct. Sunshine Coast. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not a big thing in my life, really, do you know what I mean? Mm. So, yeah, um, I feel like as soon as I got here, that's when my life started in a way, yeah. And did you always, so as a kid, um, so when did you say you deployed when you were 19 or 19, you joined the army? Joined the army when I was 19 and then What deployed. pushed you to that, do you think? Um, I think being on the Sunny Coast, finishing school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was doing uh, balustrading, a bit of furniture making. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, and I was like, shit, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't want to be a tradie like all my other mates on the sunny coast. I was like, I've, I feel like for me, I need to do something exciting, and I want to make the most out of my life. And mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, why don't I just go join the army? I didn't know nothing about the army at all, so I joined. 
Um, they actually told me I was going to be in listed on the March, I think the 20th, and they called me up on the 13th of January and they said, um, we've got a position that's opened up. You've got two hours to be in Brisbane. And I was like, oh. no way. And, um, yeah, I just finished getting out of the surf. I was surfing with Blake Wilson yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah and I, we got home and I was chilling out. And then um, I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh, I can't. I don't want to do it. It's like too soon for me. And I hung up. I rang up my mum. She was at Byron. And she's like, nah, go do it. Drive your car into Brizzy. Leave it there and we'll pick it up on the way through. So I rang back up and then like, all right, sweet, you got in the air in 45 minutes to get in here. <laughs> and I just grabbed anything that I knew I needed to grab and I just left. And I was like, and the next morning I was pretty much in the army doing basic training. Were you based out of Inogra? Uh No, I was work Kapuka. Yep. Um, down there at Wagga Wagga. That's where basic training is for uh, okay. 12 weeks. Yep. And then after that I went to the uh, School of Infantry, which is at Singleton. And then that's three months there. Wow. That's- Epic. Yeah, That's so, it was so like sudden. My life just changed like within those two hours. Like shit. Yeah. It's oh, crazy. completely. And did you find when you were going through your training, like you know how you see on all the movies and stuff, all the dramatized um, barracks where they basically break you till you're nothing, then rebuild you? Is that what they do in the army in regards to the training when you're coming up, or is it a bit more? I don't know. Tame, I guess yeah, you could boot, say. Just like a boot camp. No, it definitely is. Like um, I remember the first morning we. They wake up, wake you up at whatever hours, and then they um, start yelling at you, and then pretty much got to jump up, grab your bed sheets off your bed, stand out in the hallway with the bed sheets on your shoulders, and then you got to yell out your number. Everyone's got a number, and I think there's 52 of us in our platoon. And um, I remember I was just standing there, and I was like, shit, my life's about to change. I was dizzy as, because I just got out of bed straight away. Yeah. <laughs> the morning before, I was surfing. Yeah. Um, but they do. That's they, contrast. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's it. But the thing is, like, it is designed to break it and remake it, and it does work. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of my mates were like, when you're going in, there's no way you're going to survive. You're a smart ass, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, but they did. They, they did a good job, and yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of enjoyed it. Like, it just sets you up in routine and mm. discipline kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I think at 19, like, it's, you know, you're kind of at that age where you're finding your footing. So it's like, it's probably good to have that structure. Yeah, it could be hard going in now. Like, being yeah. 35 and going in there now, I'd be like, yeah. yeah <laughs> the body probably wouldn't hold up as much as it did. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely wouldn't. <laughs> My back sore thinking about it. So how quick was it until you got – so how, how long was training until you got actually deployed? deployed yeah. So training was pretty much six months, um, then got posted to Townsville. Mm-hmm. I was in the unit for a year. And then at the start of the year, they pretty much have everyone on a big parade and they say, all right, Alpha Company, this is what you're doing this year. Bravo, Charlie and Delta and so on. And then they're like, Charlie Company, you guys... Uh, no, sorry, let's go back. Um, I was in Charlie Company and then Alpha Company got told they're going to Iraq. So what happened at the end of their tour, they had three months left. They needed extra men over there on the ground. Mm. So I think they picked about 12 of us to go over there. So I went over there and finished the last three months of their tour with them, which was um, pretty awesome to get picked for that too. And Yeah. Because um, there's a lot of, few of us back there because a lot of guys were in East Timor as well. So to go there and do that, but it was like the end of the war in Iraq in 2006, it was a lot of like border security and patrols and mm-hmm. a lot of presence through the tra- like the towns and all that. So, um, but that was awesome. Like it was awesome experience to just be over there. Like there's just so much history as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Is it a real brotherhood too in your units? Like you're all pretty close. Um, it's, it is a, like a big boys club and you've got to earn, <laughs> you've got to earn your position. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like if you're a new guy and you're talking down to someone who's above you, you're going to get flogged. Yeah. You know I mean, like someone will sort you out or 
Yeah, it's just a lot of respect. I was going to say, you got to give respect where respect's due. Exactly, yeah, yeah definitely. And um, no one likes someone who's too cocky in the army. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what well, serious business, yeah. It is, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah. There's um, a lot of tough guys in there as well, especially mm. back then. Um, mm. And even well before I was in, it was, yeah, it was a lot of that. And then when you went to Afghanistan, you came back here first? Yeah, so, I, then... so I came back from Iraq, um, went home for leave, and then same thing, started the year again, they told us who's going to where, and mm-hmm. then that's when I was in Charlie Company again, we got told we're going to Afghanistan, which is a big thing because 2RR, which is the second Royal Australian Regiment that I was in, um, our um, battalion hadn't gone to Afghan yet, so everyone wanted to go to Afghan, and we were the, only the third rotation within Australia to go, so there's... Wow. Um, RTF, which is Reconstruction Task Force. There's one, two, and then we were the third one to be over in Afghan in 2007. So obviously we got told we're going to go, and then you do six-month pre-deployment training. So we had people from Brisbane, all them, the cab drivers and all those guys down there, six arrow boys that were driving the Bushmasters that were in. Yeah. Um, they all come up, and we just did six months of training in Townsville. Is that more intense, the training? Yeah, definitely. It's um, You're just doing everything with your section, your platoon, to know – You've got to know how everyone works, do you know what I mean? Like, you're going over to a country where it's life or death, pretty much. Yeah. yeah so, you work really close together and um, all the things that you go through in certain situations. And then, um, yeah, we had a little bit of a leave and then we went over to Afghanistan. But um, Was there any point in the training at all, like, through the whole time, even before Iraq, that you thought, like, oh, do I want to do this? Or were you just, is it kind of like you don't even have a chance to think like that? You, you do. Um, I feel like it's like with any job, say, for example, Josh, you're real estate. Yep. You get trained to sell a house. Yes. You want to sell a house, don't you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. do. So, That's like, right. for a soldier, we get trained, as bad as it sounds, trained to kill, trained to do our job. Mm-hmm. In a way, we want to be put in a situation to see how we react as well, yeah. which is so, like, a lot of people would be listening to this, won't be going, they couldn't understand that, but... No. I feel like it's for us, it's what we wanted to do. Yeah. And um, just getting trained so much. Like, you want to be, yeah, you just want to see how you react in a situation. I feel yeah. like that's such a big thing. I guess it is a good, yeah, it's, it would be a massive experience to learn kind of the depths of yourself. Yeah, exactly. Because you're kind of pushed to the edge, you know. Well, it's that was going to be my question is like, what inner work did you do in the, in the army, like in regards to, um, you know, let's just say, like, men, mental solitude and, like, being able to be strong in, in your own presence and knowing that your judgment has to be pinpoint accurate when you're in those life or death situations. Like, did you find that the Army had um, resources and, you know, tools in order to help you guys mentally equip yourself to face that sort of conflict when you got over to Afghan? Yeah, definitely. There'd be um, heaps of scenarios we'd do where we'd put, they'd put, like, certain, like, blank rounds when we do exercises. So the rounds would go off, but they don't fire yep. and um they'd put certain rounds like in our in our weapon and we'd go through and then obviously get a stoppage and then while you're under contact you've got to be able to um rectify that stoppage and then move forward and do whatever um so different scenarios and we do that much training like six months of pre-deployment training after we've done all our basic training and normal training is it does put us in the right position especially if we're being over there yeah or as well as you can be as well yeah well, and i right. guess that's yeah. the thing too you don't really know like what you say, you wanted to experience that so you know what you're actually going to do in that situation. Because it's the same thing. Like I've spoken to a few people that have been police officers as well. It's just everyone's like, oh, why would you want to do that? But it's like, yeah, you don't or, – or exactly that question, how do you mentally prepare? But it's almost like you don't know until you're right there. Like all of the training in the world can be given to you. But it's like – Until you're in the yeah, shit of it. in that heat of, mm. heat of the 
experience. It's yeah. like you really got to trust yourself. You do, yeah. Yeah. yeah so true. And there was situations over there where I was like, like far out, things couldn't have gone better. Mm-hmm. Like split of a second, decisions made and um, choices and just the way – I was doing things without even realizing I was doing it just from all my training. So yeah, it was just embedded into your into your human code that you just knew what to do. Yeah. How it. did you feel when you first stepped off the plane in Afghan? Like, what were the emotions you were feeling when you first like arrived at your deployment? It's it's such a weird like it's like so pumped to be there, but like like far out. This is war. As yeah. Well. Like a bit um, of an eeriness to it. It is. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. And I feel like maybe I didn't take it as serious until like you go on patrol because you go to base and then you do like a bit of a handover with the other the rtf3 rtf2 boys that were there before us and like a bit of a rundown and then you go on your first patrol and then you kind of realize you're like yeah it's pretty crazy but then Mm. and then saying that too then it doesn't hit you until actually something kind of serious does happen over there yeah um like the the first two weeks were over there one of our mates died over there he drove over a roadside bomb wow and I remember I was on base and the boys come back and they're like, it was just hectic, everyone running around just doing stuff and that. And, um, yeah, and it just kind of hit you. I was like, fuck, like, it's only the first two weeks we were there. And I was like, yeah, this is hectic. Like, Someone's that's, gone. That's when it hit yeah. me. That's when I had that feeling. I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, so take us through a general day in the army. What are some of the things that you had to do? Um, it's, it's so much different days in Afghan. Every day was different. So, um it could be anything like, say, if we're back on base, it's just prepping for the next patrol, mm-hmm. uh, a bit of downtime and stuff like that. And then when we're on patrol, it could be anything. Like we could be up at 2am doing building clearances um, or we could be just doing a presence patrol through a town or being security for when the engineers are rebuilding a school or building a checkpoint. So yeah. I just – that was like one of the most exciting things like – Every day was different, so yeah. um, we did do a lot of different stuff and um, and working with coalition forces and working with the SAS and special forces as well and different tasks as well. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it was Every cool. Day, new things. Yeah, it was really cool. But um, yeah, and then the other hand, you never know what's going to happen too. So. Yeah. So did you have one base that you always went back to, or did base move? No, we always had Tarankia is the main base. Yeah, and um, we I think we're over there say seven months. I don't know what's that hundred. 80 days or something, I don't know, something days. like that. We're, we're, only, we're only on back on base for, I think, 50 of the days. Yeah, We're okay. out on patrol a lot. Yeah. Yeah, just... And was there days where you didn't you didn't have to go out? Um, Almost like a rest day? Yeah, like when we come back, yeah, we might get a... I think if we're back on base, maybe once once a fortnight on a Sunday, you might get that day off. Yeah. Where you didn't have to do any, um, like, any pickets or anything like that. Yeah. Um, or, was there still a lot of stuff you had to do on those on that rest day at camp? Um, no. No, it might be once a fortnight, you might get a, like a good day off. Yes, yeah, but I think maybe maybe three or four in seven months. Which oh my is gosh, not really that's that much. so crazy! And what about so? What was base like? like um, how was sleep? Like, what was the sleeping situation? Or was our, it hard to go to sleep? Yeah, it's, our base was pretty small. This one compared to the Iraq base, definitely. Um, it was a Dutch base, yeah. so we had a few coalition forces on there, and um, yeah, like so, our sleeping arrangements was like a shipping container. Oh, okay. And you have two bunk beds in there, so four people to a shipping container. Yeah. And the reason it's in a shipping container is obviously for rockets or mortars and that that get shot yeah. over through the fence through Jesus. the night or whatever. And um, I, I wouldn't say, like, being in the army, you can sleep anywhere 
You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. we, sleep, we sleep on the ground. So having a bed and to me, it didn't matter like where I was in that kind of situation. Yeah. It wasn't too high threat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I could always sleep pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, obviously you got like a gym and a, a mess where you go eat in the hall. Yeah. Um, just basic little things. And then obviously a communication little area where you can make a phone call or jump on the internet. Was it like a good community in the base? Like, Was there a lot of interaction that went on with the different units? Because obviously when you're going out to serve, it's like you're in your kind of unit. So were you able to kind of interact with a lot more people at base? Um, I felt like at the base there was a lot of people coming and going. So everyone's like, especially different countries, all had their own different Mm -hmm. um, missions and tasks to do. Yeah. So... Like, I remember one day we played, we had a volleyball day. We played, got to play volleyball. That was pretty cool. Oh, sick. A bit like of a real down day and, um, not down day, but like just low key, nothing yeah. was going on. And we got to interact with them a bit more then. But yeah, it's, it's pretty busy over there and everyone's kind of, yeah, doing their yeah. own thing. I can imagine there's lots of stuff going on. Yeah. So you're just sitting and observing on your days off, like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's yep. so cool. So was there anything in particular? that you experienced in the army that you didn't really necessarily think you would have to? Like, was it obviously they give you a good rundown of kind of the tasks that you'll have to do, but was there anything, I guess, out of the blue that you had to deal with that you weren't necessarily fully prepared for or thought you would have to experience? Um, there's a, there's a lot, lot of them, but I feel like the first one that pops up in my head um, is more... Doing like going to people's houses at like whatever time, two, three in the morning and clearing the houses because we think mm. there's a Taliban threat in there and having women and kids like screaming and they go straight into the corner, their hands on their heads, heads down, like yeah. hiding and you don't like imagine people coming to your house. It'd be so scary. Yeah, and absolutely. Like, and like we're there to do a job to look for the Taliban and that and yeah. there's people sleeping in their beds and I don't know, that didn't really sit well with me, even though we're there to do a job, but, like, you don't want to be... For me, I don't want to be there <laughs> invading someone's house. Well, and, yeah, I guess in, and, inside innocent. in that fear too, yeah, you're, like, you don't want to scare yeah, them. Yeah, and that, that would affect, especially kids, like, that would affect them growing up. And Yeah. Yeah, I think about it more now than back then, definitely. Yeah, and probably now being a, a dad as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely, for yeah. sure, yeah. But um, that was... That was pretty heavy for me, that, that little, doing little things like that. Yeah. Did you have to clear them out of the house? Like, like were they, or you just go in to kind of search? Go in there to search, yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. Um, yeah, and then obviously we've got the interpreters with us that will, because um, like with the women, it's so, they're so, um, what would you call it, like protected in a way over there. Like we don't, yeah. we can't search them, we can't do things like that. We've got yeah. like, certain females on the ground with us that do that or mm. interpreters deal with them. We don't, yeah, respectful. Yeah, 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 definitely. So That's good. That's really good in a sense. It's like not as, I guess that's something you wouldn't really know if you weren't in it, like how yeah. people are treated. Mm-hmm. It's so, yeah, that's so, it's such a strange experience. Yeah, it is. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very scary. Even being with a person with a weapon and going into someone, someone's house yeah. and searching at, Early hours. That's um. Yeah, it's a really scary moment. Was it um? What is what's their living like over there? Like what you know the kind of house like when you know obviously here it's we're pretty privileged. Um, we've got a lot of houses close together and quite big houses. But what's what's it like there? Like what kind of towns were you? So the searching? main the main building they have is called Koalas, yeah. and the buildings are made out of mud, and they're about probably a meter thick, and they're huge walls like like, I don't know, like 15-foot-high walls, and wow. they just put layers and layers of mud on it, and they're so solid, like rockets. We've tested rockets on them, like rocket launchers and that, and mortars, and they're so hard to damage. 
Wow. So that's their protection. But it's just like we did sleep in a few some nights and that were just abandoned and there's just it's just they stink. There's yeah. just dirt on the ground. Is it quite um, cold too? Um yeah, like well, when it, when we're over there in winter, it got down to minus twenty. Wow. Yeah, gets really cold, and then we're over there in September, which was the end of their um, summer, and it was about forty. So that's such a strange like spectrum of temperature. It'd be absolutely freezing if you didn't have the right like gear on you. Yeah, it is freezing, and especially me being in the shooter's hole. So when we're travelling around, I yeah. have three pairs of gloves on, and I can one day, um, I think it was four in the arbor, and we got told it was minus sixteen on the RV and I couldn't feel my fingers. Oh, and, my God. And I could not have fired my, my machine gun if I tried. My fingers were just that frozen. That's and, so um, crazy. Yeah, it was, it was pretty extreme. Um, yeah, temperatures. Weather difference, through, yeah. yeah. That's so, like, and it's crazy navigating, like, obviously you've done breath work now and, like, we do ice baths as well. Um, and it's just, it's crazy to think about kind of being so alert in those temperatures as well. Like, it's, you know, every day is different and it's just like – because in the cold, it's like I feel like you're so much more slow almost. It's just, yeah, your body really just like, okay, it's time to sleep. It's too cold. So yeah. that would have been crazy trying to, yeah, execute your kind of mission or do your job when you're kind of freezing up on top there. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, like you said, it's just you, – the all you think about is just getting warm. But, yeah, yeah you got to think about <laughs> – What is like what's going the on? The task ahead and whatnot, yeah. But it, it was it was funny because in the shooter's hole, obviously my lower part of my body would be inside inside the vehicle. Yeah. And that will have the heaters on. So yeah. like my legs were really, really warm. <laughs> but my top body was freezing. It was so oh weird. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's so crazy. So how many of you were in – did you always – were you always in the same unit when you were in the vehicle? Like yeah, so we call them sections. Yeah. So it's eight people in a section. So yeah. you've got your corporal, your lance corporal, and then you've got your um, eight – no, sorry, six uh, diggers. Yep. Wow. It's so strange. It's such a strange thing. It's funny because you just – I think of just like movies, you know, so like just have no idea what it's like and it's crazy like how it's portrayed in the sort of cinematic side. But being a part of that would be just, yeah, such a strange experience but something that obviously became so normal as well. Like that was something you did for so long. So, yeah, that's so strange. And was – so we spoke about – um in the first two weeks you were in Afghanistan, your friend or, like, someone you knew um, within your team obviously passed away from a bomb. Um, apart from that, was there anything really, I guess, confronting that pushed you to a point where you thought, wow, like, I'm kind of at the edge of my mental strength right now? Like, was there anything that really... Because obviously you would have dealt with a lot of things that were quite shocking and quite not in the norm, like we've said before, things that you kind of prepare for but don't really know how you'll react when you get into that situation. Was there anything apart from the deaths, I guess, that that pushed you to a point of like, whoa, this is, this is pretty hectic? Yeah, there was a time that really shook our platoon up. Um, there was a couple of nights we were on patrol where there hadn't been much um, Australian soldier presence on the ground, yeah. So it was new to us, and a lot of Taliban in the area, and it was we were staying in the koalas a few nights, and everyone was pretty run down. And we went on an afternoon patrol, and um, we were patrolling back, and we got thirty people in our platoon. I think half of them were walking down this kind of like track um, that vehicles could go down to. Yeah, and, um, walking down there, and half of the platoon had walked 
past this point and the signaler who was in the middle with the lieutenant, he had pulled everyone up. He's like, there's wire on the ground. It's not like the littlest bit of wire hanging out of the dirt. Wow. So obviously all around defence straight away, all right, let's get the engineers in to come check it out. And we were on the ground for maybe an hour before they came and then engineers come up and then, yep, we've got time on the radio. Yep, it's, it is. It's a, um, a, a bomb. And oh my so they do their thing. They've been trained really well um, yeah. going through their stuff they have to do. And they he found the bomb. He um, made it safe. Yeah. And then as he went to lift that bomb off, there was another one underneath it, a pressure plate bomb. Oh, my gosh. So I can, like, I can still remember, like, remember it now that just the explosion going off. And, um, yeah, it went off and I just see, like, seen him laying on the ground and, what ended up happening, he ended up, his whole right arm got taken off. Fire. He lost his right eye, um, his left hand, he had three fingers gone, and then obviously all the other damage. Yeah, because you get a lot of, you get a lot of um, internal yeah, damage. T- don't yeah, you? internal From stuff, like you can get internal bleeding, so they check yeah. all that out. And um, yeah, it was just, it was so heavy at the time. Like, That's crazy that so many people got past it. Like, well, that just shows how, like, You've got to be so aware, like the fact that you know half half the people got past, and then it was like, yeah. Well, I think that's here. what kind of shook me up. Um, the question you were asking is because, like, there was only a tiniest bit of wire that um, our mate, mate Maynard seen, and yeah, thank God to him for yeah. seeing it. And um, I was like, far out. Like, how many other things have we stepped over, or yeah. how much do I need to be alert, looking down at my feet as well as looking up? Like, it was just a lot going through my head after that. Uh, that time but did you become more did you find that you became more mentally aware yeah definitely yeah Yeah, for sure and um yeah that was Sarge Lydiard he was a sergeant in engineers and he's doing well now and yeah mate and hats off to him he's gone through a lot of stuff and he's doing well he's still in the army what an experience yeah that's so crazy it would give you such a yeah like a hyper awareness of things it's like it's almost like yeah you'd need some sort of sixth sense about you just to be so aware of like where you're it's something you know unless you've been in the army or in those sorts of situations you just you you don't think about where you place your feet really like I don't think ever in a day I would you you know we're lucky that we don't have to have to really worry about where we're putting our feet but yeah what a time to go through yeah yeah. Any, any step I guess could be your last one you know exactly and that was going through our mind a lot and mm. Yeah, and I feel like that's why like a lot of people do struggle to get back because they go through situations like that and they're like so aware over there have to be and for yeah. seven months and it feels like two years and yeah and it can carry on for a long time after. Yeah. yeah, did you? So when you came back as well, just touching on that, did you think that did you find that you were more hyper aware as well? Like did it did it take you a while to kind of settle back into being trusting? I guess of of home even though this has been your home and you know that you were coming back to somewhere that was safe was there still that kind of lingering hypersensitivity that you had yeah i feel like when i got home my senses were more extreme than ever because yeah. being in a country in afghanistan so it's such a quiet like kind of peaceful country you know what i mean like yeah it's, yeah and um and then you come home and you go to the pub or go to the shops and there's like it's like fuck. There's a million things going on, and like, so loud. don't know where to look, don't know what to listen to, whatever. And yeah. it took me, took me take, takes a couple of years for me. So we spoke as um, as well about coping strategies before. And do you did you find you had any coping strategies over there, or was it really just that suppression of, and not suppression in a bad way, but it, was it really just like okay, next thing, next thing, next thing? Was that kind of a coping mechanism in itself? You just got to keep going. 
or did you find that you had some that you developed over there? Um, no, I just, like I said, like I just kept pushing through each day and day and like, mm. um, like with the boys, like we never spoke about it really. Like yeah. you might say like, oh, how crazy was that situation or this, but it was never about well, how do you feel? Nothing like that yeah. at all. And it was, it was just move on and next day let's go. And that's how we got, kind of got trained to deal with the situations yeah. that happen. Like for me, like you can't, you can't. It, go there and expect nothing to happen so yeah for us we expected the worst and if mm. it happened um that's it move on like as bad as that sounds but that's what you've got to do over there i guess dwelling on those past situations too while you're still in the thick of it it's like like you say it's taking your attention away so it's like you ha- that awareness would drop if you were thinking about something that happened two days ago or or 10 minutes ago so you'd always kind of have to be so present in that moment and just make sure that you're on on, on point. <laughs> and you have to because it's, it's you know, you have to keep moving on because it's your life. Yeah. And if, like like you said, if you're dwelling on something that's affected, like it's affected you a couple of days ago, it's going to take your mind off what's happening at yeah. that task there and then. But even just in general life, it's hard for people to keep pushing on. Like it's very easy for us to dwell on kind of those really sore spot moments in your life. Like for you over there, it would be, you know, these, you know, crazy things that were happening and people getting injured or out-of-the-blue situations that are popping up. And I guess in a normal sense in life, yeah, it's it's the same thing. Like when you're dwelling on that past stuff, it's so hard to then move forward or keep going or just, yeah, try not to focus on it, which works both. Like, you know, it's got its good and bad terms, I think. It's like probably picking what, what you should be dwelling on and what you shouldn't be. Yeah, no, yeah I do. I can look back and say, yeah, because it does probably – shape me into the person I am today with like I do like to get over things straight away and move forward yeah. and deal with the next thing and it might connect with back then those situations for sure yeah. because like you said being young like you didn't really know much about your your mind at that time so it obviously would have had some sort of um some sort of extent in making your mind how it is now and like allowing you to to live this life outside of the army because You'd be very strong-minded, I'd say, like just because you've had to deal with so much. And I think that high-stress situation, you know, even though you weren't talking about it much there, it probably does teach you or maybe subconsciously has allowed you to really just keep going and just, yeah, take those situations, run with them, be present when you're doing things and just keep pushing on. Because, yeah, it's a hard, that's a hard thing for people to develop. I struggle with it sometimes too. I'm like, yeah, okay. so I'll be doing something and I'm like thinking about something that happened like four days ago. I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> Driving a car in autopilot. <laughs> so what was it like um, being on top of the tanks as well? Was so, that, the, was the first time you did that um, quite scary? Because you got 360 view, right? Yeah, so we were actually, we, we didn't have a tank we had there called Bushmasters. Oh yeah, Bushmasters. Um, okay. So that's the top of vehicle we're in. Yeah. And I was at the back and... Are you facing backwards? I'm facing backwards and communicating with the driver as well. Okay. So I've got the communications on to talk to them, but I can spin around the whole time. Yeah. Um, but when you're up there, you've got to wear your shoulder and neck pads as well. Mm-hmm. So it's extra cable as well as your, your, your vest you got on. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's scary. Like, <laughs> it's, yeah. you're up there hanging out of a vehicle open for any snipers. Yeah. And going through certain towns as well, where it's like pretty close in is really scary too because it's – anyone can just take a, a pot shot at you and yeah. that's it, do you know what I mean? And 
you're doing a job at the time because you're communicating, but you're also trying to stay really alert. And um, yeah, it's like it, it's scary because you're just in the open. You're like, yeah. And do you just get put there? Like that's the job that you're given, or do you are you allowed some sort of flexibility, like to opt in and out? Um, so before we went to Afghan, when we found out we're going our platoon, um, my corporal at the time came up to me and he's like, hey, because the, the, um, the weapon I had was the MAG-58. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time I got introduced back into an infantry platoon since, I don't know, since maybe World War II or something way, way ago. Yeah. So they brought back in and we all know that it was that's what goes on top of the vehicle. My corporal told me, he asked me, sorry, he asked me, he goes, MAG-58's coming back in, do you want it? And he was the first one to ask me. I was like, 100%. Yeah. Because I knew... If we got in contact, that's what I'd want, 100%. I wouldn't yeah. want a normal rifle. Yeah. And I knew there was a lot more, um, like, commitment with it as well, like having on the vehicle, carrying it. And mm. um, so that was my job role as well. So I had no choice. So I was always in the shooter's hole. Yeah. Was that – was it quite high-pressure situation? Was that quite a high-pressure situation? Or just at times, like obviously you have to have that awareness again because you're looking around and probably seeing things that the driver can't see because you're obviously predominantly at the back. Um, was that? How did that go with your with your mind? Do you think? Do so you think it was a hard um, role to slip into, or was it? Did it come come quite naturally to you? Well, we did the six months pre deployment training, so I did six months of it mm-hmm. beforehand, um, and then there was times like overseas, not sorry in Afghan when. We'd go like crossing through deserts, and I'd still be in the shooter's hole. But it kind of be you could kind of relax a bit more because it's, yeah, it's not it's as not really yeah. Around. There's no no threat there at all. But then obviously going through the towns, it's just like times a million. Like yeah, and so being in a new place too, like probably towns you obviously never seen before. Oh, a lot, a lot of new towns where some Australian soldiers hadn't been through yet. Yeah, and um, yeah, because that's what happened a lot. Like every um, rotation, the Australian soldiers push more north, for example, more yeah. north and more north, and then. Every patrol you go a little bit further where um, there's more threat of Taliban and there's there's nowhere that Australian soldiers have been. Yeah. Um, obviously, special forces would have been through there. Yeah. But no infantry soldiers and the platoons wouldn't have gone through there um, since probably Korea War or whatever. So. Wow. Yeah, it's it's, um, <laughs> it's 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 really intimidating going into places yeah. where you don't know what's there. Yeah, and, definitely. Even just being in a new area in just I guess normal life it's like yeah you're, you're already uncomfortable I guess I'm like oh, I don't know where it's places or I don't know for you for in your case in those scenarios I get like I don't know where to look almost it's like trying to take it all in and adapt and then be able to make those split second decisions did you find that um did you have a lot of combat like did you have a lot of experience in that um so there was a couple of times where we got in contact. Yeah. Um, there was the most heaviest moment over there for me was we were in a little patrol base that our engineers built and we were there for a couple of weeks and we had heard that there was a lot of Taliban in the area. So we mm-hmm. did like a little patrol in the afternoon to show our presence. Um, and we went out and patrol late Arvo. And so you can imagine like a, a finger and we walked all the way out to the edge of the finger, another fingernail, I suppose, and that was like a, the ridge line. And yeah. It was probably about 10 metres higher than where all the buildings were. Yeah. But it kind of like just gradually went up, and we pulled up all around a fence around there um, and just sat there for a little bit and just to sh- 
because they the Taliban know where we are. Like yeah. the, the whole town talks the whole yeah. time. So just to show our presence. And um, what also happened to one of the um, Aslav tanks went around the back behind a mountain, just sat there for like backup for us if we needed or whatever. Yeah. And almost just hidden. Yeah, it was hidden yeah. like that. No one like no one could have told that tell that who was there because he went yeah. right around the back and. Anyway, we're sitting there and then we got – I can't go too much into the intelligence side of things, but yeah. we got over the radio um, from high up telling us that there was um, about maybe six different positions of the Taliban that are surrounding us in that area. Wow. Yeah, and then it kind of gets kind of like – like gets starts getting scary and you're laying down on the ground. But like where we were laying down, it was myself, my number two on my gun, Bev, and then my sergeant – and we had like we we're on like the front edge, the side edge side of the finger, mm-hmm. but in the open. So we had like a little bit of a ditch, enough to maybe if we got fired at to hide. Maybe yeah. it was only like a little bit. And we were facing down. Um, we got told what buildings they were in as well. And then at our twelve o'clock was maybe about a hundred meters away. There was five guys, five Taliban in their backyard. They were um, praying, yeah, doing their prayers as they go up and down and stuff. And they were facing us as they were doing it. And, um, yeah, everyone was just kind of just sitting around, not sitting around, like just all around the fence, on edge because we're like... Yeah. And then we got over the radio saying they're getting the job ready. And we're like, fuck, like... And the energy, like, in that afternoon, I was like, it's on, like, this is going to yeah. be... Something's going to happen. And it was, it, was, it was scary. And I remember looking at Bev next to me, and he's a, he's a funny guy, like, he likes to play around when it's a heavy situation. He's un- <laughs> yeah, undid his helmet in the buckle and he's just like, fuck, I'm sick of wearing these because laying down, they get annoying, they choke you a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and he said that in that situation and he left it off, but I'll go back to that story in a minute. And then, um, yeah, and then over the, over the radio, we got, the job is ready. And then I reckon five seconds later, um, from our maybe seven o'clock, eight o'clock, um, they fired a rocket launcher at us Oof. and it went over all our heads and it blew up in front to the side of us about at two o'clock at about probably, I don't know, 80 metres away. Whoa. And then that was their like initial engagement to start firing. So yeah. we we're surrounded by six different positions of Taliban and then everyone started firing at the same time at all us and we were watching obviously those five Taliban in front of us. Yeah. We were watching them going up and down and then the next minute they went down kind of crawled forward and jumped up behind the fence and then they all started firing. And our, initial, our natural reaction was like, fuck, there were so many rounds coming at us. We just ducked. I ducked behind my machine gun and like laying in that little ditch try, yeah. trying to curl up as a ball. I was looking back at my feet and my feet were up a bit, like a bit up on the hill and there was rounds like, fuck, I reckon, centimetres away from my boots, Oof. hitting the dirt. So I tucked my feet in and laying there and I was looking at Bevo and like, at the start, like, my face was in the dirt and I swear I was digging holes in my eyelids, eh? Yeah. And um, I looked at Bevo and Bevo's he's still in his helmet up. <laughs> oh, my God. He's like, wrong timing, Oh, wrong timing. it was so funny. He's like, fuck, I'm keeping my helmet on. He's torn it up. And then <laughs> um, and then we were, like, laying there and the rounds just kept coming and my sergeant, who was on the far side, he just yelled at us. He said, let's fuck, let's fuck up these CUNTs. Yeah. And just our natural fight stuck in and we jumped up behind the machine gun and as we jumped up there was rounds coming so many rounds coming and i just straight up did about a hundred round burst straight into the, wow. the area 
just to stop them firing because yeah. especially the Mag 58, it's um, uh, what is it? It's seven six two rounds, three oh eight. So they're they're pretty big, and um, also too one of the Taliban they had a PKM as well. So it's mm. pretty much same rounds, and yeah, so we got rounds down straight away. But um, at that moment, like as we jumped up. I still don't know now how I did not get killed. Like, yeah. me and my mate Bevo probably shoulder to shoulder, maybe half a foot between our shoulders. We had rounds going between us, and when the rounds go past you, they do like a like a snap, like a whip. Yeah, and like you know when like when they're doing the it. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's so hard to explain, but when when it happens, you you know what it is. And I also had because I'm laying down, I had rounds hitting the dirt, and the dirt was hit me in the face. So I I don't know, still don't know now how I did not get hit that day yeah um but also too when i jumped up and we started firing i had i could see on the ground like rounds going from my left to my right yeah and i looked over to the left quickly i could see a taliban hiding behind a tree taking pop shots so i had one to my left he was about 150 meters away and then we had the group of five in front of us we were yeah. about 100 meters away and i was like well i can't concentrate on one when there's five yeah so i just ignored him just hoping that nothing would happen and we got rounds down um, with those guys and it kind of put a bit of silence in the battle a bit. Yeah. And then that tank that I was saying that was our backup, he actually came over the, the hill. I never seen him, but I did see his, I think they were 25 mil cannons off the tank, Vaslav, and um, he took out that Taliban and pretty much half that tree. Yeah. Um, at the time, and I was just like, yeah, I was just like, far out. Like, <laughs> I'd have to worry so about that. That's so trusting. Like, that just, yeah, one, one you're not gonna get hit and also that everyone else is kind of like covering your back because yeah. we didn't we didn't know all the other guys so that's just our contact for example plus all the other guys in the rest of our in our uh, platoon they yeah. all got their own going on there's rounds coming from behind us going over heads and vice versa and yeah it went on for about 45 minutes um it's not just rounds the whole time it might be like they might hide for like five minutes and then they come up and start trying yeah. to put some rounds in and then after it happened it started getting nearly dark and Excuse me, and then um, we started covering each other, putting our night vision goggles on, getting them ready. Yeah, for dark, and then just before dark, they they're not they're not stupid. The Taliban, so they know how we work. So they we send the side gate open. Yeah, on the building they're on, and then they just walked off single file. Only four of them walked off with their backs to us and followed each other and walked away. Didn't even look, didn't even turn around once to look at us. Just walked off, and I was yelling at my sergeant. I'm like, fuck! I was like, let me. Let me fucking take them out. Like, I was yeah. so angry. But the thing is, they know our rules of engagement. If they're not a threat to us at the time um, and they've got no weapons on them, we can't do anything about it. Yeah, I was going to ask that because you said, obviously, it was like you knew that the – you obviously had the intel that the job was getting ready and then, obviously, you guys didn't fire until they did. So, you, you have to wait. You're not just going in and, and that's you know, the scary decimating part. an area. It's yeah. Like you've got to wait for that contact. So, And that's just normal protocol. Exactly, yeah. Because the thing is, say if I did fire at those – or Taliban with no weapons, Sergeant's got to do his job, and I'd probably, do you know what I mean? Like, I'd yeah. be in big trouble, yeah, in jail at least. But, um, <laughs> like, I, I still wanted to ignore him and just yeah. take him out because, as you would, yeah, like, it's, it's, a it's, it's such anyway, yeah, it's like that human so, nature, yeah. I was really, I struggled with that moment because I was like, fuck, I just let him walk away, and yeah, we're here to get rid of these guys. But is it hard to then retreat from those, not retreat, but like, kind of after that firing's done, um. But how long did that go on for also? So that went on for about, maybe until they walked off, it was probably about an hour yeah, in total. Yeah, wow, so long. So it was about 45 minutes for contact. And then obviously full lull in the battle, nothing's going on. It's 
nearly it's pretty much dark at this time. We don't know yeah. if there's goggles on. And then um, we just walked back to our little patrol base, which is only maybe a K away. Yeah. Um, really on alert when we're walking back. Yeah. Um, and as you're walking back to you're checking yourself too because your adrenaline's going, have I been hit? You're not sure of. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, adrenaline can be a big thing and you yeah. get through some situations. And we got back to base and everyone did a, a check of how much ammo they used and stuff and because we've got to top up. Yeah. And then it was like a bit of high fives going around and like, yeah, 100%. yeah boys, like hugs and shit. Like, fuck, that was so heavy. And people kind of changing, like swapping stories and that. And then, yeah, yeah it's dark then. And then it's time, time to go to sleep and wake up the next day and do it like a little bit of a, like a field clearance and go check around if what was left over kind of thing as well. And yeah, it was, that was, <laughs> that was the biggest contact we had over there and yeah. the most memorable. And um, I haven't actually, I don't think I've talked into that much detail with anyone about it. So yeah. it's kind of... Well, thanks. <laughs> brings back a lot of memories, but it's so cool too. Yeah. Um, well, you can see, like, when you're talking about it, it's, like, so clear, like, in your mind still. You it, know? it is, yeah. It's, like, that emotion. Because adrenaline, like I say, is so powerful. But it's, like, it's incredible to hear that sort of story because it's, like, it's there's so much going on at that time. And is it quite common that it'll just be, like, a stint like that and then you retreat? Like, everyone kind of, like, stops... Because obviously, as it comes to nighttime, it's a little bit harder to then obviously do do certain things. So, is it quite common that that is how contact goes? It's like almost like a stint, and then everyone's kind of like, "All right, that's enough for the day." And then, well, it just depends on how much they might have run out of ammo. Um, mm. Depends on who, how many of their Taliban they lost as well. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it comes down to a lot of factors as well. I feel like in that situation, it did come down to it was getting dark. Yeah, because um, they wouldn't have had night vision goggles on them. Yeah, and. Um, we work pretty high tech stuff, so yeah, of you course, can see pretty well at night. Of course, so I guess going forward from that, what was it like the day you left? Like, do you have just like a certain amount of time that you have to do, and then you know, okay, like I get to go home now? No, or? well, we've got seven months over there. Yeah, so it's always it's always seven months. Um, it's I think. It might, I'm not sure. Like, I think it did get shortened to four months, maybe. Yeah. But we knew our tour was seven months because obviously you got the next rotation, which is RTF four. They were coming in to relieve us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then just knowing you're coming home, we go to Kuwait for two weeks. I think it is just to just to relax and settle down and yeah, um, hand back all our equipment and um, clean a lot of gear and all that stuff as well. And mm. then it's a long flight home. And then the time you get home, it's just. Yeah, it's pretty. It was pretty exhausting. Like you feel like you've been gone for a couple of years. Were you nervous at all about coming back? Or yeah, it's, it was weird. It's weird because you're nervous even about the little things. Like, like I had a partner at the time. I was like, God, do I even know how to kiss her? Like, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like it's just weird. Like, just, just something about just the normal stuff that you didn't think about when you're over there. Yeah. Um, and just things like, what am I gonna, what am I gonna cook? <laughs> um, where am I? Will I be able to surf again? Like, yeah. have I lost it. Like, just. Just basic life stuff that you just do normally. You come back and you think into that stuff, and but it's, it's kind of exciting but nervous as well at the same time. And yeah. you are excited to come home and see your family and your mates and just have the freedom and go to the pub and have a beer. That's yeah. what you want to do. Have so a palm and a beer. Was <laughs> it good to see like your brother when he came back too? That would have been epic, I reckon. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. It was mm. really good. Um, do you have? A, you have? A, you said there was a contact place in the base that you can go to as well. So did. Were you in contact a lot with family? Yeah, well, we were back, like I said, not that many days really out of the seven oh, months. So right, yeah. we would make phone calls, but it wasn't the most – it was a very weird energy room. Like there was hot holes in the wall everywhere. Yeah. Because people would 
you'd be talking to your partner or something they'd be like i'm struggling it's like how do you think i'm feeling like fuck this is what's happened i've been through this or i've lost this person or whatever and like and then you hear other people on the phone and they're smashing the phone or punching the wall like it was Mm. or then you might be people might be upset because they miss them and it's really intense room and yeah, a lot of emotions flying around in there. Yeah, but I, I, I can't quite remember. I think we may have got – you've got like maybe 10 minutes at a time per day or something yeah. like that. And I'd just ring my ex every time and be like, hey, can you just call my family this time? I'm all sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot of mixed emotions with that side of things. Yeah, definitely. What a crazy time. Very crazy, but um, best thing – Best thing I've ever done. Yeah. It shaped me into the person I am today and I'm very thankful and it makes me so grateful of everything in life because, um, yeah, it can end so quickly. Yeah, definitely. So when you came back, um, it, was it hard to readjust? Um, for me, when I got back, like like I said, like we, we just everyone just hid things themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we do before we go to Afghanistan – and after Afghanistan, we go to Kuwait to do like um, debriefs and stuff and hand yeah. our weapons back and do cleaning and all that. And a bit just to calm down before we go back home. And then like we've got to see a psychologist as well. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows if you see a psychologist, doesn't matter what you've been through, say you're fine. Because yeah. if they see something wrong with you, they'll keep you there. You won't go home straight away. And then if you got medically unfit and they have to medically discharge you, you get kicked out of the army, and you'll never get a government job again. And that was always on our minds. Yeah. And, yeah, I remember sitting there with the, the psychiatrist or psychologist, whoever she was, and she's just like, yep, did this happen? I was like, yep, how do you feel? Yeah, I'm fine, yep, sweet. So I was always just, had just blocked everything out. Yeah, brushing it off. Yeah, and I yeah. came home, and I kind of just did the exact same for so many years. But, yeah, so I kind of just shut everything off for so long. Like, I did struggle looking back. Like, I'd be go to for a restaurant, I had to sit in the corner and make sure I could see everyone who didn't want anyone behind me. Same with the yeah. shop, I had to go into the shops. Um, and I kind of just had that barrier up for so long, so long. And then there was a time where I went up to go up to Double Island. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're not familiar with Double Island, it's like Fraser. You can drive on the beach, surf, camp on there and that, which is awesome, one of my favourite places. Yeah, I love that place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I went up there one Sunday, Arvo, because I, I thought the way was going to be good on the Monday. And I went up right to the point where you're not meant to camp and I just pulled up my truck there. No one was around. Had a, had a fire, had a couple of beers and I just sat there and I wasn't facing the ocean for some reason because I was trying to block the wind out behind my car for the fire. And I was sitting there facing up the sand during eating some dinner and then it kind of just hit me and I just, I wigged out, I could hear noises and I was looking up the sand dunes, you can see like the little tracks coming down yeah. and I fully thought I was back in Afghan. I didn't, and I had full, had a flashback and I was like, never thought... I never understood a flashback until I actually went through it. I was like, holy shit. And I broke down and started crying. And I felt so uh, helpless, you know what I mean? Because I didn't have yeah. anything on me to protect me. And I sat there for like 15, 20 minutes just crying. And, You're on um, your own. Yeah, on my own too. Yeah. It would have been scary. It was. And I just, I, I didn't know how to react. And I was like, shit. And then I was like, I was like, fuck this. And I was like, I got up and then you can walk up to like the little lookout point. Mm. And I walked up there. I didn't take my torch for me. And I was just like... I could hear noises in the bush and I just like kind of yelled like fucking come at me like I was just psyching up. Yeah. And I was like, it was kind of good I did that because I was like facing it. But at the time I realised, I was like, shit, like I need, I need help now. Yeah. And I yeah. came back down to the car and then I just jumped my swag and went to bed and I woke up in the morning. I didn't, don't think I even checked the surf and I just drove back home. And I called my ex at the time as soon as I got reception off the barge and just said, yeah, I just told her what happened. She's like, when you come home that night? And I was just like, I just didn't want to bother anyone because that's, yeah. that's the person I was in. I just did, 
just everything to myself and and probably processing it yourself as well. It's like going having that happen. You'd be like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that's be an right. Yeah, I wasn't thing of like, oh, I've got to go. Yeah, like, what the fuck is going on? That's yeah. right. And because I, I wasn't a cry, I'm not a crier really. And um, definitely back then I wasn't. And um, yeah, I just didn't know what was going on. So I just got home and rang up um, Veteran Affairs. Mm-hmm. And there's also open arms as well for anyone out there. Um, they can call and they put me through and I started seeing a psychologist for six years. And that was pretty much straight away when you got home? No, so that was um, also home from Double Island. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much straight away. Yeah. They were pretty onto it. Was it, was it hard for you to ask for help? Or did you, um, did you think that you'd never really have to be in that situation? I knew I needed help, but I just never put my hand up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I had a lot of anger problems and all that, definitely, and um, struggled a lot with just opening up to people as yeah. well. And yeah, so I just went and seen a psychologist and I seen him for six years and I think I just stopped seeing him about a year and a half ago. Okay. So yeah. And did that, that helped? It did, definitely help. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just good to talk to someone and mm. have someone there. And then after seeing him for about two years and then he... He, he never forced me, but he, then I went on antidepressants. Yeah. And I kind of just – it was weird because I seemed to get help, but then I seen him, then I was numbing the situation as well. Yeah. So I was on that for nearly four years, antidepressants, and, yeah, it was just – it was weird because, like I said, I seemed to get help, but then I was numbing the situation. Yeah, it's like two sides of it, yeah. Out of yeah. curiosity, cool. because having been someone as well that's been on antidepressants, mm-hmm. um, I was only on them for a short duration of time until my now partner told me to get off them. Yep. Um, did you notice a change in yourself when you were taking the meds? Like I, you said, you said you were numbing it. Like, did you feel that numbness translate through your emotions? I did. Yeah, I yeah. felt like there were certain things that weren't triggering, tr- triggering my emotions that I was feeling before, and I just yeah. felt like a bit—I wouldn't say spaced out, but like I just felt pretty disconnected, chilled. chilled. Yeah, disconnected in a way, yeah. and chilled. And I just, yeah, probably like, just less reactive. Like it yep. definitely makes you less. Reactive, yeah, because it's quite a common thing any, for anyone, no matter the situation, to just react like to emotions. Yep. And I guess, but I guess, yeah, the other side of that is that like it, it makes you less reactive, but then also doesn't really allow you to process them anyway. But it, you know, at the time, it was probably a good option for you to be doing that. You know, yeah, it mm. was. And then um, it came to a point where my ex partner. When I started dating her just over a year ago, she's like, nah, you need, to, you need to get off these. Like, they're not good for you. Yeah. And I was kind of figuring, like, tossing up myself. I was like, yeah, I should, can't, how long can I be on these for? Yeah. yeah. Keep Do I really it. want to rely on this medication yeah, to exactly. get me through? Yeah. So I dropped it down to like half a dose, quarter of a dose over time. And you just asked to do that? Or you just did it? For- I just did it myself. Yeah, good yeah, on yeah. You. okay. Yeah, and yeah. I just like, because I knew, because we have to make these decisions ourselves, you know what I mean? We can yeah. go see someone and they can tell us, Yep, this is what you need to do, you know what I mean, to change things, but you have to put your hand up yourself and actually physically do it. It needs to sit right in here too in your heart. It does. This is is what feels right for me. Yeah, it's so true. And I got off the meds and it was about a couple weeks later, I was like, well, I I need something to help me because I can't just get off the meds, I'm going to be better. I need something to find something, a love of something or something that's going to help me with self-love and growth. And I remember seeing all the boys down in Byron I've got a group of mates and they live there and they live in a place called, they call it the Byron Temple. And it's an amazing place. You rock up in there and it's massive property, huge house, I think like six, seven bedrooms. Sick. Massive fireplace where the living area is open to the kitchen and then you go out in the backyard and it's like, it's like Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> like you rock down this little path and there's like a little lake with a fire pit and then you go through these trees, 
like a tunnel, I'm not joking, and you walk out and then there's a big Buddha, like stands like three size, three times towards me wow. with another lake and um, little like some meditating areas. And then there's another spot where there's these big um, boulders. There's like I think about 12 in a circle and they're all different places all over the world, the rocks. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so I went down there and just said, boys, I need to come down there, get away. I want to, I just want to learn what you guys are about. Yeah. And um, I went down there and I rocked up and the boys took me for a little walk down the backyard, which I was blown away. And there's one spot I remember I walked down and that was where the big Buddha was in the lake. And there was two boys there sitting next to each other meditating. And then like, yeah, she's got to be quiet because they're doing their thing. And I remember I was just blown away. I was like, how can two men sit there and be so comfortable with each other and meditating together? I was like, mm. like fuck, I want that. Because that would have been foreign to you having come from the army background because that's probably something you would never have seen before because it would have been total opposite, right? Yeah, exactly. Army's all high energy, yeah. go, go, go. you got Boy each other's back. Yeah. yeah, alert with everything, whereas these guys are doing the total opposite. They're going inward. Yep. They're just blocking out everything other than what's going on internally, right? Yep, that's it. And just doing it together, not caring what anyone thinks. Yeah. Mm. And I was like, far out. This place is so sick. And then, um, yeah, so I met, met, met most of them. I knew a couple of boys down there already. And then... They were just energy was just amazing. They're mm. really cool, and I remember probably we, very calm. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah very inviting and loving. And um, I remember we went inside that like that arbor. No, that night. No, sorry, we went down that arbor. We went down to near the lighthouse, and they're like, "We're going to go do a meditation." Like, yeah, I'm coming. I want to do it. And we sat on the on the cliff on sunset and we did a meditation. And then as soon as the meditation finished, we all sat. There was four of us. We all sat there with our arms around each other and just enjoyed the sunset. Wow! And I was like, like I just felt so. I know. I just, I just felt so free. My walls are down. I was like, "Holy shit! This is what it like feels like to be." I know a lot of self love and that as yeah. well. You're Did being you? seen by your friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah it was, was that the first time you'd meditated? First time I meditated, and um, first time I've been like in a situation like that where I've just walls down and. Wow, I can feel it. Yeah, I can it feel that cool. energy. Hey, that's yeah. sick. And so, did you continue? Have you continued since then? To yeah, meditate? yeah, yeah, yeah. I meditate daily now. Or at awesome. least at least five six days a week. Yeah, um, and I love it. Like I, I sent a quote um, a few months ago, and I sent it to Josh, and it was it was. Don't a- try to jog my memory. <laughs> <laughs> and it was and it was amazing, and it's made so much um, so clear to me, and made so much sense, and it would have people come in and actually talk to everyone about mental health and mm. deconditions and things. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And have I know there's a lot of. Um, like ways people can reach out, but actually make it a bit easier for people if they're actually on base or barracks and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one because, yeah. <laughs> Did you have a best friend in your platoon? Um, like, was there one one person in particular that like was, you know, your you go-to guy? Like say, for example, like, I look at you and Luke, you and Luke are like best mates. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a best mate in your platoon when you were stationed over in Afghan? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. I had a, we had a, like our whole section was really close. Yep. Um, I was really close to my number two because my number two was so my job role over there. I was had the Mag fifty eight, which is the main machine gun for the section. So mm-hmm. when we're on the Bushmaster, I was in the shooter's hole with the machine gun, and then when we dismount, um, I take off the swing arm and carry it. And then so my number two is always next to me. He's got the spare barrel, and he's got all about an extra thousand rounds on him that he carries in his backpack. So we're yeah. always really close together. Um, but he, yeah, so you do kind of get really close with those guys for sure and there's a lot of mates that I'm still really close with and I don't – that's the best thing about the Army is that I might speak to them once every two years but it's like just we haven't yeah, not seen each other. Family, outside yeah, family, family. Yeah. yeah. Do you find now that you're all out of the forces you are able to now be more vulnerable with one another about 
you know, instances that may have arisen during time of service or even after time of service? Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, I'm so open now. Um, I've grown so much in the last few years, whatever, and I'm, yeah, you know, have. I can talk about anything. Like, <laughs> it doesn't bother me. And yeah. if, if it's going to help someone, um, that's even better. Yeah. yeah. That's so crazy. It's like such a strange kind of experience to visualise in your head. Isn't it's it? Like, like you say, it's like unless you've been there, you just don't really know. Like I've never, I've never been privy to any information to do with it, so it's really interesting. And seeing what you've done since you've been back, it's like full other end of the spectrum, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, so it is. when because you were before Ninja Warrior, you were Big Brother. Yep. So what made you want to go on Big Brother? Um, I think like when I got out of the army, I was I went back to my old job, balustrading. Yeah. For like a year, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like I was stuck in that that rut again. I was like. I'll do electrical apprenticeship, something I didn't want to do. And I hit third year and I was like, I need something exciting in my life. And then I just seen the um, applications on Big Brother. <laughs> like, so good. Fuck it, I'll do that. <laughs> so I just applied for that. And um, having my army background, that helped me get into it. Yeah. Um, oh, mate, I remember when you got on there and I was just like, <laughs> here's the army vet. And yeah. Matt with his shirt off the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, yeah, but it was an awesome experience, and I just needed that that thrill again. Um, yeah. I, was, I felt like I was back before the army and I needed something exciting, and mm. then that's when I was like, yeah, I'll try Big Brother and see what happens, and it was an awesome experience. So I did 50 days in there and got halfway and got got out of the house, and I got offered a scholarship at Fit College. So I was out of the, wow. out of the house, I think, a week later, I was studying uh, full-time for 12 weeks. And you're still doing personal training now, hey? Yeah, yeah. yeah. been over seven years now, so... Cool. He coaches my auntie and my cousin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you enjoy that too? Yeah, I love it. It's yeah. awesome. And I, the biggest, the best thing about it is obviously I get to help people yeah. um, reach their goals and give them the knowledge that I've learned of my fitness journey with the Army and all that stuff as well. But also too, when I go to the Army, I wanted a job where I had a bit of freedom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Lifestyle. I don't care about money. Money doesn't bother me one bit. Um, but I want the lifestyle job, and that's what I've got. I run my own business. I work 20 hours a week, and I've got time to do whatever in the day, train, have a nap, yeah. you know what I mean? go do stuff. Do naps for <laughs> a little siesta. Good or yeah. That. But, um, yeah, and I'm so happy, and um, I don't really feel like I've got a job because I just enjoy, I do enjoy it. Yeah. yeah. I think it's probably good to, um, yeah, be able to give that knowledge over to people. Do you venture into the side of um, mental health with your clients as well? Um, or is it mostly just physical? Because obviously you've got a lot of knowledge on – and just personal knowledge on how, I guess, you know, meditation has helped and things like that. Have you ever have you ever had a chance to, like, pass that on to your clients as well? Not so much, no. Mm. I would, I'd say probably the last year since I've been on my – I'd say, like, my little um, journey at the moment. Um, like, it's a bit of self-love. I've been – it's come up in conversations with my clients. Yeah. And I've picked up on the next time to do certain things too. And we, like, kind of encourage each other and that. But I'm no professional. I've only just started doing it. So yeah. Really, so. It's good, though. Like, yeah. I think – because with personal trainers as well, like, if you've got a good client base, it's – the way you connect with people is pretty raw, I think, too. Because, you know, physical fitness is hard. And for people that want a trainer or need a trainer, it's, sometimes it's so hard. So you kind of bond – with your personal trainer a lot. So in those cases, it's cool to be able to share, like, I guess a bit, like, deeper information or um, stuff about mental health too because it's like, you know, that we're all just people and so sharing those experiences is, is good too. Yeah, it is true. And I have some really good chats with some of my clients and mm. we dig deep and, yeah, it's cool and you do have that bond with them and I 
I feel like that's one of the biggest things they get attracted to as well. And the thing that I love about it is that you can have that with someone and still do the fitness side of things as yeah. well. Yeah. Have you based any of your PT stuff off your army training? Yeah, a couple of sessions. Not so much like I hate I had it being yelled at in the army. Yeah. It, if someone yells at me, I just turn <laughs> off. I don't listen, which probably a lot of people do. Yeah. But um, I never yell at them. But I do do a lot of stuff like when we do our beach sessions or certain workouts. Um, yeah, I've got through the army. Yeah. That's <laughs> so cool. I know like because my, my auntie Kay and my cousin Gemma have been going to Matt for years now. And they speak so highly of his like ethic and how he structures his his classes. So yeah, Annie Kay always speaks very highly of you whenever I see her. Yeah, I love Kay. Yeah, she's cool. That's so cool. So you finished Big Brother mm-hmm. and then got into the PT world, and then is that what brought you to Ninja Warrior? Um, I I watched season one of Australian mm-hmm. Ninja Warrior and. Being the typical person, oh, yeah, I could do that, I could do that. And like, I actually thought, yeah, I could give it a crack. Yeah. And then I applied for season two. I got on and I didn't do any training whatsoever for um, season two. And then I missed out by one spot to get the grand final by four seconds. Wow. I was like, oh, shit, like I can do this. Maybe if I just train a little bit. <laughs> so um, I trained with – there's five of us on the sunny coast um, and I trained at Pa Rambo's house. He's the oldest ninja warrior and his whole backyard is ridiculous. Like it's set up like a ninja course. We can take down and put up obstacles whenever we want. Is that on the coast? Awesome. Yeah. Because I've, I've been watching you do that for yeah. so long and I'm like, that place looks epic. It's sick. It's the best ninja backyard in Australia, easy. And, um, wow. Yeah, we're so lucky, and then I've just been doing a heap of training with him. For and it's so weird because he's 66, 67 soon, and I'm thirty five, and I'm half his age, and we're like just mate, get on, and we train together, and he can do nearly everything we can do. That's awesome, even a bit more. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's crazy it's when you fun. keep up that physical fitness. It's like full, just transcends age. It's just like yeah. you see the most like absolutely fit older people, and they've just never stopped. You know, and it's like their body just hasn't had a chance to wear down. That's it. That's the key. I don't think never stop to an yeah. extent. Yeah. Did you um was Ninja Warrior hard mentally as well? Like, did it require a lot of like willpower to I've, push through? Because it looks genuinely hard, and there's so much hype around it too. Like, it's a very like a very high energy. It is. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a lot harder than it looks. Um, the biggest thing is when you're on the course is you get your flash pump. So if you're not familiar with that, is if you're hanging onto a bar, your forearms will like your muscles will tighten up mm. and it'll just kind of release your hands in a yeah. way if you don't build that up and that's the biggest thing that lets a lot of people down on the course they, f- they feel like they they can do that obstacle whatever but it's all about that the pump do you know what i mean yeah and um one of the guys put it well one time he said that you've got to when you to get rid of that flash pump you've got to do like a massive work like a, a dead hang for as long as you can or like a strenuous um kind of workout and mm. then give yourself half an hour break and then when you give it a go the second time you can get through a lot better so that's the hard thing with Ninja. Like, you don't get to do any of that stuff. You yeah. You go straight into the course. Um, but it is hard and it looks way harder. But you've got to try and yeah, It already train looks yourself. hard, so I can only imagine <laughs> if it's harder than what it looks. <laughs> but I think the biggest thing is for a lot of people that haven't been in front of the TV, you're up there and people are screaming your name, you're on TV, like there's lights and all that. And we do compete between 10 and 4 a.m. in the morning. Oh, wow. 10 at night and 4, yeah. So you're tired as well. That is epic. Yeah. 10 at night and 4 a.m. Yes. <laughs> Excuse <laughs> me? <laughs> I'm well and truly in bed. You ain't never seen me on a Ninja Warrior course, hey? God, that is crazy. Um, so was it like confronting in a way to be on the TV? 
like have all those cameras and things going on or were you able to kind of zone into oh, I was alright because I think being off Big Brother um, having, true actually. I was yeah, filmed for 24-7 do you know what I mean <laughs> so um, I was fine with it but I still I still get nervous up there definitely mm. yeah. I've done four years now and being up there is really nervous every time I feel like you put a lot of pressure on yourself because yeah. we train a whole year for this and then we're like one slip and you're done and that's it and yeah all the training's gone <laughs> oh it can happen so easy trust what, me what yeah. was it like doing it with your twin brother um, it was cool. So I did the first season two on my own and then I said to him, you've got to come do it with me. And then it was awesome just to have him on that journey with me. Like yeah. I wanted him to experience what I've experienced and he wasn't that keen at the start and I'm like, no, come do it. Like it'll be so cool. And yeah, he's stoked he's done it now and he's done three years as well. So Would you do it again, do you think? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm kind of not training for it at the moment. I'm just having a bit of rest time from Ninja. Yeah. But I'll probably maybe try, try it for season six maybe. So there we go. Oh, yeah. that would be so cool. Yeah. I want to um, I want to wind it back a bit, um, you know, because we're going to start talking about self love stuff and work because this is something you and I talk about a fair bit through yeah. our Instagram and stuff. You know, you went to the army at a really early age, nineteen. Like I also had a couple of mates in high school that they went just as we were finishing year twelve. And to be honest, I haven't even seen either like most of them since. And I hope they're doing well, but. I want to ask a question, like coming through your teenage years, as we do as young males, you know, a lot of testosterone, um, there's a lot of um, tendencies to want to be an alpha. Did you find that your mental health going in when you first signed up for the army, were you quite sure of yourself or like do you find that, I'm trying to figure out the exact word I want to use here. Did you find you had any any trials or struggles with your mental health going through your later teenage years leading up to the army? Or did you find that it wasn't until you came back from the army and you left that you started to go, oh, crap, there's all these emotions I haven't addressed yet? Um, I feel like when I joined the army, I didn't have – I never experienced a depression or yep. anxiety or anything like that. I was just Life kind of was like, good. Life was good. I was just yep. on that wave the whole time, do you know what I mean? Like I had yep. that many mates around me and I was like, oh, what do I want to do in life and just join the army? Yep. And so there was no questioning or – um, worrying about how my mental state would have been. Yeah. And I just feel like it was after being overseas and all that and then... Experiencing it firsthand. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's when I realised, yeah. Because for me, like, I know that I personally could never have gone to the army because at 15, like, I was already falling into a depression and I had to go to the doctor and, and get things checked. So I know that I wouldn't have passed my mental exam straight off the bat. Um, so it's, I'm just curious because, like, yeah, I do see people that want to apply for the army or go into the army that have got... I wouldn't say you've got what I have, but have got issues with their mental health that they've been open with me about. And I'm like, do you really think it's smart to be going into the armed forces if you're feeling this way? Do they um, let you in? Do they let you Because it, it'd be like a full medical... You do, you have to check. do a medical and yeah. check and all that. And But I feel like you, you can't lie. You can't. I was going to say, yeah. anyone can lie, unless, right? you've exactly. been, unless you've been to the... Because do they check your medical re- records? Like if you've been to the doctors and got like, say... I'm not quite sure about that. I'm mm. not sure. But um, I feel like if you did have any, like you said, Josh, um, any mental problems um, or struggling in those type of ways, I wouldn't not join the army for sure. Yeah. Um, or just at least know how to uh, deal with those situations, I suppose, as well. Yeah. Because um, when you get – when I, like for me, myself, I didn't know how to deal with those situations. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that I wouldn't mind touching on is you've got a daughter. Yes. Yeah. Um. You know, obviously, the life that you've lived. Where did you ha- did you have your daughter when you got back from the army? Yeah, so uh, Zali's five years old. Yep. Yeah, so I was thirty when I had Zali. Yeah, cool. Yes. 
So have you been able to share a lot of insight with her, like over the five years that you've had her, like, I guess, being the father figure, having the background that you have, you know, I'd, I won't lie, I'd probably love a dad that'd been in the army to like give me a bit of structure and a bit of discipline, <laughs> like... I know Robbie's a bit bit lenient with a few things. So, like, yeah, how, how have you found, you know, stepping into that father role? How's that been for you? It is the most special thing. I love it so much. Like, as soon as you said Zali, my daughter, like, I just yeah. started smiling straight yeah, away. Yeah, you, you did. Know? Yeah, like, <laughs> she's, she's everything to me. She's my best little buddy. And I do try to, everything I've experienced in life, obviously, everyone does, like, tries to uh, push that towards their, their daughter, mm. son, whoever it is. Um, but it's like we do talk about the army and stuff like that and she understands a bit and she has marched with me every year on Anzac Day. Awesome. And every year I cry when I march when I'm holding her or walking next to her and my brother's kids do too as well. They walk next to me. So it's kind of a special moment. And yeah, yeah and I, I know she she looks up to me so much. She always says like she, um, always asks me stuff about the army and at the early ages, she used to say, I used to fight zombies and stuff. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> Should have just ran with that. Yeah. But then, and then um, I feel like just being the role, the best person you can be for your daughter, um, for myself, is it's so important because I just want her to be the best person she is. And I know she will be. Yeah. And yeah, I can just teach her what, what I know and what I've learned. Was it a strange experience? To get used to, like every year is different with kids. It's like you think you've got it, and then you're like, <laughs> oh my god, I don't have it. <laughs> it's like as their personality develops. But like, what's the what's the biggest? I guess a good question would be like, what's your what was your biggest struggle becoming a parent, and then what's kind of the best thing that you feel like you've done being a parent so far? Yeah, okay. There's been a lot of times. There's been a lot of situations and stuff. But I feel like at the start, you can't can't be, you're not prepared. You can't yeah. be. You just got to take on day by day. And I feel like I was really lucky with Zali. She was like such a good sleeper. So I feel like a lot of parents say they struggle with that the most. Yeah. But I feel like just the stuff that I'm looking back now is just being calm around them. Mm. Such a big thing. And letting them have emotions. Like I feel like a lot of parents will be to them, don't feel this way. Stop feeling yep. upset. Don't, why are you angry at that? Let them have that. Do you know what I mean? Like who tells us every day like we can't feel those way? No one yeah. does. It's about, they're called feelings because we went to feel them. So I suppose that's what I do with her. I encourage her a lot um, with how she feels and try to make her understand that as well. Yeah. It's so crazy to like just to hear this. Like because obviously I know you. I see this. I actually see the way you you and your daughter are together and it's beautiful. But it's so interesting to hear the contrast from, you know, the army life to then dad life because you go from an environment that requires you to hide and suppress all your emotions then stepping into this power of being a father where you actually, yeah, all you want to do is be the best possible role model and allow them to just be. I think it's really beautiful to see where you've, like, from there to where you are now. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, like thank it. you, mate. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, it's good to do. I think it's, like, it, it's pretty powerful what you've said because, and I think it is a change in culture with parenting as well. Like, a lot of people just base their parenting skills off kind of what they've learned as parents which is natural you know so it's like a blessing in disguise that you you um got to go to the army and I guess learn about the other side of that about suppression and about how important it is to talk and express things and it's it's cool that you can now facilitate that for your daughter because it's such a massive thing that a lot of people you know don't have the the knowledge about you know, talking about things. And we speak about this a lot on the podcast, that it's so important to express and so important to reach out to people even when it is hard. 
So it's, yeah, it's pretty cool to see like this kind of new generation of parents coming through yeah, that really time. do facilitate that because it's, it's so healthy and it's so necessary. And then those kids help their friends and it's like a, it's like a ripple effect. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. And they, they, they say a lot of our problems do come back from when we were kids as well. Mm. The way, um, not the way our parents dealt with us, but what we learnt through them as well. Yeah. So I've taken that, not that I str- struggled so much with that, but I've just always heard and taken it on board and that's what I want to have that influence on Zali. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think it's really important, like you said um, before, and it's something I, I believe we said in the, in the um, podcast with Connor, you know, it's important for not just kids, but for us as adults. So when you, mm. like you said, their feelings, they're called feelings for a reason because you're meant to feel them. Um, when we're young, parents would be like, stop crying or stop being angry or stop throwing a tantrum. It's like, well, what's the root of that? Why has that come to, to a head for whoever it may be involved, the child or the whoever? I just think it's very important nowadays, it's, yeah, to feel those feelings and not just like be like, Oh, I don't want to feel sad right now. No, no, no. <laughs> so before before we did this podcast, I was like, Matt walks into the door, my hand, head's in my hands, it's going, I'm stressed, I'm this and that. <laughs> He's like, do you want me to stand outside for a second or can I come in? It's like, no, come in, let's get started. But it is, it's just so important to feel. And I think to be able to then, you know, teach that to your daughter is such a pivotal thing, especially at a young age of only five, being able to learn and being aware of her emotions is going to set her up big time in the future. So I think it's a great job, man. Yeah, well no, done. thank you, mate. When Thank it you. comes to um, self-love as well, what do you think the most important – well, for you personally, what do you think the most important thing is? Like obviously you do your meditation and you've learned how to talk to others, but I guess what would be – if you could pick something, what would be the most important thing to you? It's a hard question. There's yeah. so many things. Um, I feel like with myself is just being happy within myself and not worrying about having reassurance from other people. Mm-hmm. Just letting my walls down and being comfortable with myself. Yeah. Because um, I know, because you can't please everyone, do you know what I mean? You, and then I feel like the people that are going to judge you or something like that or are going to talk behind your back are the people that aren't happy with themselves or need to do some work as well. Mm-hmm. And I, um, it, it's funny you ask that because for me, like letting my walls down, like I went and did about three weeks ago, I went up to Noosa Beach and did a guided uh, meditation and breath work with Cool To Be Conscious. Oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah I've seen them. They're really cool, Ryan and Rue, and um, they're from New Zealand. They've travelled up the coast, and they're in Noosa for, I think, eight weeks. And I went up there on my own, and I just said to myself, I'm going to let my walls down. I'm just, and there was about 70 people there, a big circle in the sand where everyone sat in the middle of And I pretty much sat right in the middle, and I was there on my own. A few these people had people with them, and I didn't care. Yeah. And just before we started, I just sat there, and I, I just started – crying i just mm. broke down because i could feel everyone's energy and i felt like so i didn't have to try and be someone i was just so comfortable with myself as well yeah. and then we started to meditate the breath work and the meditation and the whole way through it, i cried the whole way through it i was a mess and i didn't care at all when i got up and then we did like a thing where everyone's holding each other's hands in a circle facing in and yeah it was just it was just amazing experience and i've never ever done that in my life where i've let my walls down that much and didn't yeah. care what anyone thought of me um and I feel like, especially like because being on TV and like people might know who I am here and there and I've always just had like a bit of a wall up. Yeah. It's like, yeah. oh, people are going to see what you're like or judge you. But I didn't care this day and I haven't, I, to be honest, I haven't cared since then. It's only been three weeks, but it's just an extra growth that I've taken. Amazing. Yeah, it was it was really special. And um, yeah, I'm going to do another one on this Saturday actually with them. So Oh, really? Yeah, I'm excited. Am I doing anything on Saturday? Yeah, I don't think I'm doing anything on Saturday. We actually did a breath workshop on Friday night. 
um, with Exalto at, with Jordan Potts. And um, I actually went unconscious for about three minutes where they thought I was dead. Really? <laughs> yeah, they thought I was dead. <laughs> it was and, loose. <laughs> but um, I've, I'm studying breath work at the moment. I'm studying Wim Hof Method and – I knew what I was getting myself into. I do breath rebirth things with a lady by the name of Nicole, a ritual movement up in Coolum. But I had a very hallucinogenic experience on Friday night and to the point where like I saw a, a deity in front of me holding ice and fire in either one of his hands. And it was the third time I've seen this exact deity when I've done my breath work over the last year. And I remember saying in that moment, like, I surrender. And then that's when I came to to like the crew waking me up, going, "Are you all right? Like, is everything okay?" And then I found Your out dad that dad looks so worried. Yeah, everyone, everyone was so worried, and I was apparently making noises, and my body was contracting. But like, I felt incredible, and I didn't care that. Like, I, I felt a bit sad that people were concerned, but I didn't care at all because I knew exactly what was going on. I still felt like I was in control, but it was very, mm. yeah. It's, it's it's interesting once you do let those walls down and be like, I don't care what people see or what people think. It just allows you to go deeper and deeper. And, like, I do breath work on the beach before I go surfing and people walk past me think I'm some lunatic because I'm doing some, like, um, bus trick of breath or something like that. But who just, cares? That's cool. It's it makes you feel powerful. good. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. liberating. I, I think, like, coupled with meditation, it's – breath work's so powerful because it does, like, unleash a lot of things. And you, you're putting oxygen around your body. So anything that's stuck in there, whether it's muscle pain or emotion, it's going to come out. And I think crying is so powerful. Like, crying is probably one of those – the most powerful emotions to let go of. So it's awesome that you're in a space that you could do that. Like it's, yeah, like you say, you're not really someone that cries. So obviously when you do start, it's like opening up that little box. Mm. And I think that is really healthy. And do, do you find, did you find like after that meditation that you felt a little bit lighter or like a little bit different? I felt free. I felt really mm. free. Yeah. How good. I like in the cars, like driving back home and I was, I was pumped. I felt like I just took like the best drug or something. Like that. I was just like, holy <laughs> it's shit. It's like that, hey? Yeah. I was like, this is sick. I felt like I just wanted to bring all my mates and everyone just tell them about it. And um, yeah, it was really special. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. That's awesome. That sounds mm. so good. I'd love to do something like that. It's like on the beach. I think I saw a photo on your Instagram of it, actually. Of all you guys standing in a circle. Yeah, that was cool. And then oh, uh, at the so end, cool. Ryan, they're just, they're just such loving people, the boys who run it. And he just come up and he, he hugged me for like, like in three, four minutes. I was just crying in his shoulders, but I didn't care at all. Yeah. And um, it was just something I need to do for myself and yeah. to have him there as well. Um, it was really supportive and it was, I highly recommend it. Oh, awesome. That's great stuff. That's so cool. And I, there's another thing too, like if just like basing, you've had such a big life already. Like you're still young and it's... Yeah, you've, you've accomplished so, so much. Yeah, it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, like four or five different lives in one which is awesome because it's like allowed you to have all this experience. Um, is there anything like when you look back on yourself as a kid, like just maybe pre, pre-army or as you were coming out of school, like is there any advice you would give to yourself? as an- I think the biggest thing is like live in the moment, enjoy what you've got and also treat people how you'd like to be treated. Mm. I feel like that goes such a long way. You never know what someone's going through and – it's just, it's not hard to be nice, do you know what I mean? And it, yeah. it, it makes you feel good. You make other people feel good and um, just smile as well. Like, smile goes a long way. Like, if you yeah. see someone down the street and they smile, like, at you, I'll naturally smile back at them. It's yeah. infectious, do you know what I mean? And, yeah, it just needs to be a lot more chilled out people and more love yeah. in this world. 
I guess it would be good if yeah that people if people can learn that and take that on. Be cool. It's been a really interesting conversation, hey. Yeah, I just like I'm just in awe of how much you've done. It's crazy, but yeah. like strong like will as well, you know, like d- jumping into these kind of decisions, like not really, not not thinking about it, but taking those opportunities, like going to the army and kind of second guessing it and then doing it, and the the amount of experience you've had from that, and then yeah, the big brother thing, which is so crazy. <laughs> And, yeah. yeah, it's just cool to that you've really taken life by the horns, for lack of a better expression, you know, like really jumping into those experiences that are given to you. And it pays off. Like, you know, you're able to learn so much about yourself as a person and your limits. Like there's so – it's been interesting to talk to you because you've kind of been on opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, like having to go really deep into yourself to do that healing and then also being so expressive, being on – you know, TV shows that heaps of people watch. It's so such a different different space to be in. So it's cool that you can kind of be both those people or like explore that whole part of yourself. Yeah, it's just sitting back and listening to you say it, it's just it does sound crazy. It does feel like I've lived five different lives. And, yeah, but um, like I've always just wanted to just never say no. Yeah, be a yes man. Give things a go because you never know where they can lead. And um. Yeah, and I'm just I'm thankful for the, what I've done, and I wouldn't have done it unless I put myself out there. And yeah, it's been 100%. an awesome journey. I've met so many good people, and yeah, life's good. I'm loving life. It's yeah, it's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. It's unreal. Cool. Just trying to think of anything else I want to ask. Like, there's so much. Like, it's so much that I already knew leading into this conversation. Seeing as we've spent so much time together, um, but then at the same time, like hearing your story back with Ailish present, there's so much that I had no idea about. Um, it's very cool being a stranger to it, I think, too. Like, I yeah. froth that. Like, I was always used to be someone that was so nervous talking to people, and now I just, like, froth talking to people I don't know. Because it's so interesting. Like, everyone's got a story. And, like, going back to what you just said about how, you know, always treat people how you would like to be treated. Because, you know, if I've never met you, or well, I haven't, but it's like if I had just passed you on a street or something, it's like you have this entire life story that I would never know, you know what I mean? And it's like a slight comment or something that people – and that people do it all the time, you know, we say things that maybe aren't very kind or, you know, kind of bump into people on the street. But it, it is so powerful to recognise that everyone has a story and it doesn't necessarily define them as a person now, but it's a whole life. Like, it fascinates me every day. I'm like, you know, I'm driving in my car and looking at people and I'm like, what is it, where's that person going? Like what are they doing? Where what are like what are what are they doing what tonight? Life have they been yeah, it's like living? this such a strange thing that we are so like these conversations are so healthy because as humans we are quite disconnected. You know, we all have our different lives, we all do our different things, but there is so much to each of us that makes us who we are. So many struggles or tribulations and you know, that's why I love asking people, you know, what advice would you give? Because it's interesting to see how someone can be a certain way and then grow up and through all these things think about what advice they'd want to give to someone, you know, at 14, 15 or, or what advice you'd give to your children as you're raising them. It's just, it's incredible. I think being human is such a strange experience. It's so weird. <laughs> it is. It's so crazy. And like you were just saying about the car, like picking out person the car, what their life is. That's what I do like in the plane. Like I'll point at a house and I'll be like, I wonder what that family's like and their yeah. journey. Like it's so crazy. Everyone's so different and, yeah, and I feel like that's why one of the biggest things is why we've got to be patient and 
understanding with a lot of people because you never oh, know yeah. what they're going through. Mm, you 100%. never know. Eh? Every, you, everyone's you, got their own struggles. Being, yeah, you've got to be very present. I guess that's why meditation is good as well because it brings you to presence in yourself and then you can kind of facilitate that space for other people as well. But yeah, I think that is something to really take away from this podcast especially. It's like there's so much to everyone and when we respect each other and just respect someone else for being a human, it's like so important and empowering for both yourself and that person to just like hold space mm. and be kind. So you remember you were telling us about the time you went to the house in Byron and that's when you sort of started your self-love journey. Mm-hmm. Um, along the way, like... I know for myself, for the last 18 months, I've been on a massive journey and I, I just seen my ups and downs within that <laughs> journey. Like, have you, like, everyone thinks that a self-love journey or, like, you know, what we're going through, like a self-discovery journey is always sunshine and rainbows, but there's always a ton of shit that goes wrong. Did you find that, like, since you've gone on this journey of discovering more self-love and more self-discovery that you've also then met, been met with equal amount of adversity? Oh, definitely. For yeah. sure. I feel like I pick up on my own energy and other people's energy so mm. much more. Mm. And it kind of gets frustrating. I'm like, I don't want to feel that much energy. Like, it's, <laughs> it's so crazy. So and it's hard yeah. to explain. And I have had bad days. And I feel like the biggest thing with me now is I know to accept that feeling, take it on board, and then release it. And yeah. there's certain days where I, I can't release it. And I've got to make Cody down the Goldie. This was probably a couple months ago. And I was struggling one morning. Like, I just didn't want to get off the couch. And. I knew what I needed to be done, but I thought I'll touch, touch, like reach out to him, and he was the perfect person to talk to. And we had a good chat for about forty minutes, and he just said to me, "All right, get out of the house, go do some hill sprints at Cardi's." And then I couldn't think of anything worse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, then, um, and then put it on social media and tag me in it, like just to keep me accountable. And I went and did that, and then um, I felt amazing after. It. And I sat there and I, I put it on my story on Instagram, and I interviewed myself, and I just said, "Like, look, this is what I've been through this morning." This is how you can face it and you've got to acknowledge these things and move forward. And mm. it was crazy. I had, I had about eight, I think 82 people message me after Whoa. that, reaching out, explaining what they go through and thank you, Yop, and all that. And it was just amazing that I reached out and touched that many people just from putting that little post up. Yeah. And um, that's what it's important. Like, it doesn't matter how much you work on yourself, everyone still has bad days, but it's about moving forward and. Yeah. acknowledging it and yeah letting yourself be seen too i think yep. like the biggest thing you like what you just said there you had 80 something people message you just from you making sure that your buddy knew you were holding him accountable right but it just shows that just a small gesture like that can shine light in dark places for anyone else going through it i know yeah. when i first came out about my struggles on instagram and i started talking about how the ocean was like my therapy like the amount of people I had messaging me going, thanks so much. Like it's given me a chance to like own up to my issues. And it's like, I think that's what, one of the beautiful things and why I'm pretty proud of this podcast is we want to try open that space for people to want to be like, well, this is what we're going through. It's shit. Thanks for letting me address it. And then they can move forward. Because like you said, you, you have bad days where you'll sit in that emotion, you'll feel it and be like, okay, well, mm. I'm done with that now. Let's move forward. Yep. It's time to move forward. And I think it's, you know, one thing that we talk, I think we've spoken about before, it's one thing I've been learning a lot about is not attaching myself to the emotion or attaching myself to the circumstances, you know. Okay, have a shit day. Why was it a shit day? Okay, maybe my client, you know, said no to an offer that was ridiculous. I'm trying to relate it to my job, which is silly. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
But yeah, something could go wrong at work and I will then take on that energy. Like you said, I'm a massive believer in yeah, energy, feeling other people's energies, you know, walking into a room, feeling energy like what we were talking about earlier. Mm. Um, but knowing what energies is yours and what's someone else's and knowing how to separate the two, you know, you may feel a leaky energy. Oh, Ailish, yeah. I never feel a leaky energy from you, but I'm going to use this for I'm an example. So <laughs> <laughs> but like if I were to feel a leaky energy from Ailish, for example, I'd have a tendency of taking on for myself and, be, mm. oh, and then feeling the heaviness rather than nowadays going, no, it's not mine to own. You Flick do as off. well because it's unspoken. It's like it even relates back to that suppression, I think, too. Like sometimes if you're around people, like everyone's sensitive to energy. It's like you can be like heightened like you can have heightened sensitivity, but if someone walks into a room and they're in like a bad state or you can feel it, it's like, you know, it's kind of like a... Density. Yeah, and you you Mm. tiptoe around those sorts of people too. So I think it's good to, like how you said you you, um, put that thing up on um, Instagram and it reached people. I think all all it does really in a grand scheme of things is it makes people accountable for themselves. Like you didn't want to get up off the couch, but you did anyway. And I think that is so powerful because... Our brains are strong and our brains will, you know, there's countless amounts of days where I'm like, fucking hell, I'm not getting up. But it's like you've got, you know, a list of things you need to do. And I think the more you overcome that, not deny it, but just go, okay, that's how I'm feeling and still get up. It's like you're in charge. And I think it does, it gives that power back to people of, okay, this is, like you're saying, this is my energy, this is their energy, or this is how I'm feeling. However, I'm still going to do the things that I need to do. And that's it's so hard to get to that point as well. And I think for people that are, I guess, sensitive to energy and, and have that heightened sensitivity, it's hard to if you're around a lot of people that are quite negative or people that are going through a lot of stuff and aren't owning up to it because you do suck it up like a sponge and it's like you almost can't differentiate between what your issues are and what someone else's issues are. But I think it, there's nothing really that bad about that either because it means you care and I think it means you... You're an empath. Yeah, yeah, you care about other people. But it is important, like... And I think, touching on what you said, how you did hill sprints, like, I find exercise so good. Like, if you're in a bad headspace and it's, like, the, it's probably the last thing you want to do is get up and go for a run or just, like, go outside and do some push-ups or something. But it helps so much because it's, like... Think about all the chemicals it releases, thing, yeah, right? Like the, and you probably understand that as a PT as well. It's like I think that's such a big thing for people if they're feeling down, just get up, get up and just do jumping jacks or something because it does it pumps the blood around your body and then it's instantly you feel better about getting up and doing something and then also just moving. Like I think moving the body is so powerful. It is, and I, f- I feel like the more that situation I was in, the more you just get up and then you do those certain things. Like even go for a walk down the beach, mm. like in the ocean is like what you're saying, Josh, is the most amazing thing. Um, it just it clears my head so much. Just Doesn't it? Yeah, and I feel like then you, when you get home, you realise, well, how good was that? Yeah. Doing those things. So I feel like as soon as you're in that mindset, you just go do it, push yourself through it because you know when you're done and you're home, you're going to feel so much better. Well, yeah. It comes, like you just said, it comes down to your mindset. We say mind flex it. Exalto, so saying mindset sounds a bit weird for me. But, like, it all starts with where your mind's at, right? If your mind's in that, I don't want to – and I know that feeling, I don't want to get off the couch, I'm not moving, this is me. But then all you're doing is, yeah, you're just making your life, to me personally, I should say, making my life more difficult because I'm not going and achieving those little things that need to be done in the day. And I find, yeah, I had the same instance when was it last – Thursday or last Wednesday, I had 
a bit of stuff going on, wasn't feeling myself, I was fuming, went to my mum and dad's place, opened the door and dad was walking out and I said, have you been for a surf yet? And he's like, yeah, I've just been for a surf. I was like, well, we're going for another one, let's go. <laughs> and he goes, you're right. I was like, nope, let's go for a surf. So, and then we went for a surf and then as soon as I did it, there's something about the ocean, just like it just cleanses. Fully own. And that even though you're out there and it's ticking over your head, ticking over your head, you just get one or two waves that just make you forget about all that. You're like, shit, that was actually all right. That was fun. <laughs> and then so the, cool. the issues sort of become trivial. You're like, why was I even upset about that in the first place? How can I then overcome it? Mm, you know? taking action. Well, you need to take action. Mm. Otherwise, if you don't take action, what are you going to do? You sit stagnant the whole time. Yeah. And they just can compound and compile and then... Before you know it, you're going to be neck deep in issues going, yeah, how do I get out of this? Do. Yeah. So, yeah. but no, it's, it's really, really cool, really fascinating. And um, by the way, Matt's an incredible surfer. <laughs> Sorry, you mate. That's, <laughs> a, that's something I haven't actually, we haven't even touched on yet, but like it's another way that Matt and I became really closest through surfing. And so I could, I, I feel that he probably feels the same way as I do as the ocean. Yeah. It's yeah, just mate. a massive. Massive therapeutic session for us. It's such a common thing with surfers. I'd love to be able to surf. I'm just shit scared of it. So I just... I'm giving Ailish a death stare right now because I've offered to teach her how to <laughs> oh, surf. I like, yeah, I'm just... I'm a real good swimmer. love swimming. And like, same thing, the water for me is like so cleansing, but far out being attached to something in the water, absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> but there is this common thing. Like I know a lot of people that surf, obviously run the sunny coast, so it's a very common hobby that people have. But yeah, it's... It, you're all really like connected to the water because I guess you got to know what waves look like and what waves are coming and yeah it's you all kind of have that real cleansing aspect of being in the water which is awesome I think like I would have loved to have learned how to surf if I was a kid the ocean can liberate you and then it can humble you just as quick hey yeah one one minute you're getting the best wave of your life and then you come off that and you cop four on the head and you're like oh maybe I'm not that good just yet (laughs) good old mother nature eh? that's right (laughs) um before we go final thing um Ailish did say before like what were the what the tools that you use but like what and what do you say to your inner child but you know for anyone listening right now that may be going through the moment where they're, they're couch potatoing or whatever. Yeah, call to action, get up and do something. But, like, what would your words of encouragement be to anyone that is sort of going through a bit of a rough patch right now? I feel like, for me, personally, going through those situations, being in the worst place, is as soon as I it's, – it's so hard to tell people to yeah. – to do that, like what I I'm love saying. how you're using the eye language into me personally because yeah. yeah, that's what we try to do here as well. Yeah, from my experience personally, yeah. and I did realize I wasn't going to grow until I put my because I you can put your hand up and say I want help, but like for me, I sent a psychologist, yeah. but that only got me so far until I actually said this is what I need to do. Like I got off the meds, which was sick, but I need to do something that's going to push me that little bit further. So for me, it's about letting your walls down, talk to people, communicate's a big thing because people they're out there want to help you. You know what I mean? Yeah. They do. And I feel like you've, you've got to make the choice yourself. No one can do it for you because I could see that many people and do that many things and they could give me all the right advice, but if I don't want to do it, it's not going to change. Yeah. So, but that's, that's the hardest thing. You can't tell someone just to go do that. You've got to work that out for yourself. Yeah. And um, communication is a big thing. Yeah. It's a journey, hey, and you just got to it like, is. I think Paul Check Paul talks about a lot. He talks about your starting five, like your five most important people within your, like, the immediately affected by your life decisions. And I think, like, for me, I always take into consideration my starting five when making decisions or, you know, if I'm going through a rough patch like that, I know that I've got my starting five that are going to back me up in an instance like that. I think, yeah, people need to, yeah, start being more open and talking 
with those close knit people if they are feeling like a, in a rough patch as well. You know, like you said, accountability. You and your friend. You know, you need someone to hold you accountable because otherwise, if you're not doing it for yourself as well, well yeah. then yeah, you're going to fall behind. So true. <laughs> and it's it's who you're around too. Like I've I've seen this saying, seen so many people say it on different um social media things. Is it is it your vibe attracts your tribe? No, not that. Damn. It's, that. it's like <laughs> show me. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Yeah. yeah. And I've been seeing it everywhere. Like, and it's so bloody true. It really is. Because, um, yeah, you're not, you're not going to grow unless you're with people that want to grow as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I really appreciate you coming on. We're stoked today. Yeah. Like, so where, where can people find you on social media? Um, just under Matt Phillippe. <laughs> yeah. There you go. We'll put, we'll put the link in the description because um, Matt does put out some really good content. And just for um, keepsake as well, for anyone that is um, suffering from PTSD or needing to reach out, is there, um, like from the army, is there people that they can ring? Yeah, so they can call uh, Veteran Affairs Mm -hmm. or Open Arms. Okay. And um, yeah, they're more, that's their job. They'll be there to help you. So um, reach out. It's just the start and um, it's an important start as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, thank you firstly for the service that you provided when you did serve. Um, thank you for the incredible friendship that I've had to, had with you over the last God knows how many years. And I'm, <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. been a while. And, and we're very grateful to have you on here because I've seen you've been listening to the podcast and we've, just been, I love it. we've been waiting for this to happen. So <laughs> I'm very grateful. So, yeah, thank you very much. Awesome. No, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Nice appreciate to meet it. you. <laughs> and we will see you guys in season two. Bye-bye.